Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. On our show today, George Plaster will be our guest. We will talk about Vanderbilt's big announcement of a facilities commitment to football, or at least the money to fund such a thing. George Plaster appears on our guest line, which is presented to you by our friends at Bowling Branch. You have heard me talk about their sheets for years and how much my wife and I love them. We look forward to getting in bed every night and slipping between the most comfortable sheets that I've ever slept on, hands down. By the way, they will last you forever. They get more comfortable with every wash. They are made with 100% organic cotton. That is rain-fed and picked by hand. It's the best cotton on earth, period. Uh, Trust me on that because you can feel it. Bowling Branch was started by Vanderbilt grads Scott and Missy Tannen. They have millions of thrilled customers, including three U.S. presidents. Give them a try yourself. You can sleep on them for a month, and if you're not thrilled, you get your money back. You can also get a discount on your order. Enter the promo code VANDY at Bowling Branch. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com. Get $50 off your first set of sheets with that promo You'd be glad you did, and you can thank me for that later. The news is presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help, and please tell me you heard about it on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Well, the news of the day will be the subject of today's podcast. Ed is Vanderbilt has made a $300 commitment to athletics. Much of that will go to football, some certainly to basketball for a new building. But in any case, if you're listening to this podcast, you have probably seen the news, and that will be the topic of today's show. George Plaster joins me today, one day after Vanderbilt's historic announcement of a $300 commitment to sports. George, thank you for joining us today. I'm just curious, what was your reaction when you heard the announcement about what Vanderbilt was doing? Hey, can I laugh? You said the $300 commitment. (laughs) (laughs) I've done that twice now. You might want to go to 300. Yeah, you might want to go to 300 million. Well, yes. I mean, for a while it was a $300 commitment, it seemed like. Now it is 300 million. Moving the decimal point a little bit does change some things. Uh, I, I guess it's uh, li- living in the past, right? It, it, it seemed like that's what it was going to be. But no, in all seriousness, that was a pretty massive announcement for the school. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think all of us who have paid attention to the school kind of said to ourselves, wow, the school's putting $100 million in. That's the first time I've seen them come to the plate with anything, and I don't know how long. You know, I'm coming to the conclusion, Chris, that, uh, you know, during my talk show life, they've had Joe Wyatt, who was a complete zero, didn't know if a football was pumped or stuffed and didn't care. You had Gordon Gee, who by far wanted good things for athletics more than anybody else did. Zeppos, who was a real disappointment to me, talked a good game, but did absolutely nothing. I'm convinced, though, that Daniel Deermeyer is the real deal in this thing and that he wants athletics, as he's told some people, to have a seat at the table. And more and more, I'm becoming impressed that he may actually open the door and and help this thing. 
I have connections on several levels, you know, the academic level, the sports level, some, some of those overlap. But the consistency that I've heard from the beginning is that he, his message has always been the same, that he was committed to sports, he believed in it, thought it should get a financial commitment, thought that it should be put in position to succeed. And I've been hearing that for a year now, and I've, I've never heard anyone who has wavered from that. But doing that publicly is a big thing because it's going to put a target on your back over there at that school with some people. So for him to have the guts to do it, that tells me they finally got some leadership there. And, and my goodness, that's been needed for so long. You wonder if any other chancellor had the guts to do that, how maybe the last 15 years or whatever it's been since Gordon Gee left might have played out differently. Uh, but it appears to me they finally have it. And, and to me, he's the guy that drove all this, right? It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks if the chancellor won't take a stand and for him to take a stand and send a message that athletics matters and publicly say this is what we're going to commit to it, and that being a very large number. Now, we can debate whether it's enough. Uh, that That's another conversation. But the step that he took and the amount that he threw out there, uh, that is a massive signal about where I believe they are headed with athletics. You know, it's, uh, it's the reason that a Vanderbilt fan should have some hope. For the last few years, it's been baseball and not much else. And now, all of a sudden, you've got a chancellor who you can sit there and say, you know what? It looks like this guy really cares. He has told some friends of mine that athletics now has a seat at the table. I've never met him. Uh, I'm looking forward to the day where I get to, but I have not met him. But i got to admit, I'm impressed by what, I, by what I'm hearing. Yeah, I think we all are. Um, you know, there was a lot that was left unsaid yesterday. They've left themselves some wiggle room. And my stance on this basically is it's hard to judge what they're going to do till we know what they're going to do, right? And they haven't said that publicly. No, I think that it's going to be a basketball building about where Palmer Fieldhouse is right now. I think it's going to be a football facility in the closed end zone. They'll demolish that corner of the end zone. I take out maybe 10,000 seats or so and put a building there. Uh, but but still, $300 million is the key thing. If they're going to spend all that money, and I thought I heard him say that they're committed to doing this, you know, whether they raise the money or not, it sounded like. I, I may be putting words in his mouth. But I guess the point is, however it looks, when you spend that amount of money, there's no chance you're not you're going to get, you know, very little return on investment. I want to see what it looks like. Uh, but but that number, from from a historical standpoint for Vanderbilt, was staggering. It's a big-time um, difference maker. It, it's not the total package, perhaps, but it at least is a heck of a start. And the part that has me excited is that the school is involved. In the past, what really has gone on has always been a, well, we'll allow the boosters to do this. And, you know, I've always wondered, well, what about the school? Don't they, don't they have to pony up a little bit? And finally, I'm hearing something that says, yes, the school's going to pony up. I know you had to have talked and texted with several alums and booster friends and such. You've got a pretty big network of people uh, whose experience with Vanderbilt goes back decades what was the reaction that you got, or maybe the reactions? That might be 
a more fair way to put it because people react to things differently. But when you talked and texted with people about this yesterday, what kind of responses were you getting? Pleasantly surprised, I think, to put it in two words. Nobody knew quite what to expect, and all of a sudden you get this $100 million that the university's doing. That's the big one. Because in the past, like I mentioned earlier, we've never heard them belly up to the bar at all. And this is just a this is a very encouraging sign. This has been a tough deal for the last few years. I, you know, talk about Captain Obvious here. I mean, I'm I'm preaching to the choir. But other than baseball, what has anybody had to get excited about? All of a sudden, there's a, a little piece of news. Well, it's not a little piece. It's a big piece of news off the, you know, off the floor, off the field that gives people some reason for hope. Well, Daniel Deermeyer talked yesterday about having to have the right people and pieces in place. And I have to think that Tommy McClellan was a part of that, although he didn't get mentioned yesterday. Uh, I thought maybe he deserved better than that, or at least I don't remember him getting mentioned. Clark Lee did get mentioned. Um, and I think the combination, in fact, I was asked about this on a talk show this morning about was Clark Lee the driver of, of all this? I said, no, I, I think that was written into his contract. I mean, I'm sure he had some things written in. I don't know that Clark's the kind of guy that's going to publicize exactly what was written in, but he's a sharp guy. He had options. He was not going to take this job, I think, without some assurances. Uh, but but here's the point, okay? I don't know whether Clark Lee will succeed or not. I'm, I'm really impressed with what I see from him so far. How that translates to wins and losses, none of us know. So I, I don't think that you can make a judgment or call it a slam dunk hire yet because he's not done anything. My gut feeling is, is he's going to do well, but we'll wait and see. I think, though... You, you look at James Franklin, right? Is Clark going to come in and win like James did? I'm guessing not. He's made it clear that this is kind of a slower build. But I think the difference this time is, say Clark does get to having some nine-win seasons and some things like that. The difference now is you have a coach that, and James Franklin wanted the university to make commitments. The university was probably not going to do that, and especially not against the backdrop of the scandal that happened under Franklin's watch. Now you have a chance, if you have a good coach, You've got some things in place uh, to, to keep him in terms of facilities once they're built. You also have established that you've got a chancellor who's willing to play ball with whatever it is you think you need. I think the backdrop for long-term success right now is a lot better for Clark Lee than it was for James Franklin. Again, I don't know if Clark can ever get them to nine wins. It's going to be an uphill battle, but I think you have to think with the undercurrent of Chancellor's support and now facilities, that the long-term future for football um, from where we sit has got a chance more than it's ever had in either of our lifetimes. Yeah, I don't want to put words in Clark Lee's mouth, but I'm convinced that he wants to be here for a while. And here's where I'm going with that. He grew up in the shadows of that football stadium. His father was once the team physician of the Nashville Sounds, a great man. And in fact, when I got to see Clark the first time after he got here, that was the first thing I asked him. I said, how's your dad? I bet he's delirious. Okay. There was an announcer uh, besides Joe Fisher. Uh, same thing with Joe because he grew up here. 
I grew up in the shadows of Memorial Gym, lived uh, in the first five, six years of my life within a mile and a half of there. Uh, it was very exciting for me. It was a job I'd always wanted. Now, I'll admit when I got it, it wasn't nearly as attractive as I hoped it would be. But whatever the case, I know that the feelings for him are a little more excitement than probably most coaches would have because this is his home and this is where he wanted to be. And I think that's a big deal to trying to keep him here for a while if he does halfway well. I think everybody that I have talked to that has dealt with him privately, I don't know if blown away is the right way to put it because Clark is not like a dynamic personality. I think in some cases that would be fair. I think some people have been blown away with him. But I think everybody has come away just super impressed. I've not heard anybody that's talked to Clark Lee yet privately that just says, I, I don't think this is the guy. I don't think it's going to work. Here's why. And you hear that, right? You've heard that with several coaches here. You know, you'll talk to people that just say, hey, I knew from the minute I met this guy that he wasn't the answer. Um, and you might argue you've got a coach or two like that at the school right now. But with Clark, I just sense that everybody who comes away from their interactions with him is is really encouraged and thinks that it, at least he's got a chance. Now, some people will come away saying this has got to is, is he's going to kill it. He's going to take us to a new level. I just don't think you can make that determination yet. But some people believe that, and I think at, at a minimum, everybody I've talked to thinks he's going to have a chance. Chris, I am cautiously really pumped for him. One of the things that I've noticed in a private setting, and I'm not going to go any farther with this is this guy has put some thought into it. This guy is really prepared. He knows what it is he's facing. He is not walking in here with blinders on. And I'm telling you, I think people are really going to be impressed with him. He knows what he's doing. The other and you thing, don't always hear that out of me, do you? No, no. I mean, even the tone of your voice is different. And look, ne neither of us, this is not an act, right? This is not a we sat here and, and decided to do a positive podcast today. I think you and I both have tended to tell it like it is, which my thing has always been, okay, if you don't like the negative stuff I say, let's flip the script a little bit. And, and when things are going well... I'm not going to be the guy that's always telling you that the sun is shining today and everything's great. I'm honest about what I think, and you are too, and that's the reason I have you on here. And I think the thing that you and I have said for a long time is, why is it so difficult for the school just to get out of its way? And I don't want to turn this into a negative retrospective podcast today, but I think the thing that people that love Vanderbilt just look at that school and just shake their head and sometimes grit their teeth about is, is Vanderbilt has made it so tough on itself to win. We just look at it and go, why do you make this so hard? For once, it seems like you've got a chancellor over there that, that has got some common sense and says, yeah, the, the football brings in this much revenue. It brings in this much publicity. We look at what baseball has done for the school. And, and finally, where everybody else looks at two and two and it adds up to four, you've got a guy that's done that. I think the school, even the people who maybe don't love athletics, are going to find 
this makes for so much more of a positive atmosphere. It takes so much criticism off the table. I just think this is going to be end up end up being a win for everybody. Now, again, there's a long path from here to there to winning football games, but at least for once, the school has taken the knee-dark criticism that everybody has of them, which has been 1,000% fair off the table, and I just think taking that gloom and doom layer off everything is going to take a lot of pressure off a lot of people, and it's going to energize a fan base like you haven't seen in a long time. I, I just think th- this is such a an incredible move in the right direction for everybody uh, across every angle you want to hit. Chris, let me take uh, some specifics here uh, because I maybe was not specific enough with an answer earlier. One thing that is going to change dramatically is their level of recruiting success. When he brought Barton Simmons in, I'm here to tell you there are not five people in the world that are more wired into the recruiting world than Barton Simmons. How do I know? I hosted a show with Barton, a national recruiting show. I'm not convinced one person ever saw it. I don't know the first thing about recruiting and honestly couldn't care less, but I'm telling you, I watched Barton work. This was a tremendous hire. This is a big priority to him. I think, uh, Clark Lee is going to get into Middle Tennessee and surrounding areas way better. I I never understood the last regime's strategy when it came to Middle Tennessee. And I'll get really specific here. Vanderbilt football is never going to go out and crush Alabama. That's just not going to happen. But there is a formula where you play smart. Perhaps you shorten the game by what you do on offense. And then your kicking game has to be a positive. And let's face it, over the last six, seven years, their kicking game has been a complete joke. You could go to any number of high schools in the area and find better field goal kickers than they had. And I'm not talking about Sarah Fuller here. I'm talking about the group before her. Their field goal kicking looked like my golf shots. It was atrocious. You never knew what you were getting. And the problem is, at Vanderbilt, you better have a kicking game, punting, place kicking, the whole nine yards, because most of the games that you're going to try to win, you got to win close, and you got to win because you're smarter. I think in recent years, they've been dumber. I've never felt like they understood anything about the kicking game, and I'm convinced with this guy, that is going to change dramatically. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care 
Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. I I couldn't agree more. I, I don't know how to articulate this. I think that Derek just uh, I don't know. It was almost like he showed up at work someday, and then and then issues that should have been obvious to him suddenly occurred to him. Uh, recruiting strategy locally, I, I just don't think that they got after it enough. And I think that the Langston Patterson commitment, and again, knowing that you're not a recruiting guy. Um, I, I'm not. We're not going to dive into this with both feet. But Langston Patterson's a kid, <laughs> high three-star kid. You know, m- maybe a four-star type. His brother's at Clemson. That's a kid that they have probably no shot at six months ago. Um, you bring some energy and some attention to detail, and all of a sudden they're landing a kid. And again, I don't know if Langston Patterson's going to work out. Probably half the time these kind of kids at this level do, and half the time they don't. But it's a signal they can get in on that type of player here locally, which is hard to do because of the the constant drumbeat of negativity that the school has brought upon itself. And again, fairly so. But to me, that was a pretty significant milestone to be able to get a kid like that before you've even announced facilities. Uh, and I do wonder, now that that is kind of the buzz in town, is, is look what they've done, how much does kids sit up and take notice and go, hey, we've got a stud here locally that's picked them. We've got a school that's made a public commitment to spending a lot of money on football. Um, you're going to have a fan base that's more energized. I just think the positive momentum you can see start to get to working for them, uh, that's something they haven't had in, in so long other than the respell that James Franklin brought. It Even then it was different for a lot of reasons. It's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out, and I just thought getting that commitment was very important for them. I'm totally with you. One of the things that baffled me, Chris, is when I would go to high school football games, and I love high school football, uh, and I love one particular school named Battleground Academy. But when I would go places and see other, um, you know, stars, and then I would ask a coach, where's Vandy in this? Well, they haven't darkened the door. We've never heard from them. And you, you kind of leave shaking your head going, what the hell is going on there? And that scenario played out way too many times. It was baffling to me. It was discouraging. I'm convinced that Clark Lee and his staff, if they don't do anything else, they are going to let the Middle Tennessee area know who they are. Yeah, and I, the other thing that I like about Barton, I, I really respect his football acumen. People at industry do. In fact, I think you'd you'd be hard pressed to find somebody as a recruiting analyst who was more respected than Barton was. But there's an energy and excitement to him. You, you see it in the little videos that they do from practice with Earl Bennett. Uh, there's an air of positivity around that guy, and, and just I think is going to be infectious. And, and again, one thing that I thought was an underrated part of the Barton Simmons hire was the fact that he has been in, in media and he's very well liked. And I just think that becomes contagious. And, and I'm with you. I just I don't think I could be much more bullish on that hire uh, th- than I am. It's a home run, period. I can remember some times on the TV show that we would tape it. Most of the time we would tape it, I want to say, like on a Wednesday night. And we would take two or three of them and we would go to a commercial break and Barton would immediately be on his phone and his phone. There's some people out there going, George, by the way, uh, iPhones exist. Well, back then I didn't have one. I had a flip phone 
how pathetic is that? But Barton would be on that thing constantly in those two or three minutes. And I was like, man, this guy is really wired. He knows what the deal is. There is nobody more wild wired, sorry, wired to that world than Barton Simmons, period. There's such a difference when when your head coach, I think privately, even if he consciously didn't know it, I think that he knew he was in over his head. I, I don't know if he could articulate why, but I always just got that impression as defensive as he got at times, as isn't insecure as he seemed at times. Um you know, as much as they tried to make everything a secret the last few years and close practices and all those things, at a time where you need all the attention you get, to me, to me that was, I don't want everybody to see how bad this is. It's a theory. I can't prove it. Uh, I may be totally wrong. With the guy, these guys, I just get the feeling that it's it's very different. I still wish our practice access was a little bit better, and, and maybe that's not a Clark Lee thing. Maybe that's a a Vanderbilt COVID thing because, my goodness, they won't even let their own fans in the stadium for the most part. And that's another topic we won't get into today. But point is, I think when attitude and confidence of leadership um, and, and the fact that they they know what to do, I think, um, they're just much more of an organized approach. I think when the leadership from the top down, uh, and, of course, include the chance on that too, is night and day different than what it was before. Um, I, I, I just, I, I don't know how you can, I, I don't know how the contrast between the two staffs based on what I've seen so far could be much different. I think it's night and day. In fairness, Clark hasn't played a game yet, so nobody's really got a grade on him other than he was a defensive coordinator at as high profile a school as there is in the country. Derek Mason, bless his heart, looked completely overmatched in the first two games. The Temple debacle and then the Ole Miss thing down at the uh, at uh, Nissan Stadium. I remember walking out of the Ole Miss game going, what the hell's going on in that weight room? They are just getting beat to a pulp on simple stuff, just right up the middle, just run over you kind of stuff. I think one of the things that we both know, Derek Mason did a very poor job of picking staff early. It was a bunch of old Ohio U guys that he knew. In fairness, I don't think Derek was all that wired into the coaching community. I don't think his staff was very good at the beginning. Maybe it got better, maybe not enough, but that's the way I interpreted it was that staff-wise, it wasn't anything to write home about. No, it, it wasn't. And, and to be clear, again, I'm, I'm more optimistic that I've been in a while. That does not guarantee success. I don't know if, if Clark Lee will, will kill it here or not. Again, I, I like the chances. I think it was a really good hire. You never know how these things work out. But the thing that always bugged me with him, looking back, was in, in Vanderbilt – they were just doubling down on him at every level, and that's the thing. I think everybody saw what you saw. Uh, we're watching those two games going, what in the world is going on here? We're, we're seeing all the debacles with, with quarterbacks and things, and everybody intuitively knows you can't run a football program like that. 
I think that was again. It's Chancellor thing. Um, the previous leadership just just let him sit there and propped him out every year and and tried to prop him up and and tell you why you were wrong and he was going to succeed and he just needed better coaches and it's just like they had predetermined they were going to make one excuse for him after another and ignore what was plain as day in front of everybody else. And I think you've got a chancellor now, and you saw him make a decisive move this year with Derek Mason and in a very different direction in what he was getting as a coach. And I hope all that propping up of people who obviously don't belong in a role is a thing of the past. Um, Again, it all points to the chancellor, and I'm just very encouraged. Chris, here's the bottom line to me on the Derek Mason era. Derek was able to last about two or three years longer than most people thought because of Kyle Shermer. And I used to make the joke that they needed to kiss his you-know-what Monday through Friday and twice on Saturday and Sunday because he absolutely masked what was really going on there. The guy was a terrific quarterback. Not only that, he was really durable. Think about some of the games he had that you know, if he's not that good, they get clobbered. Kyle Shermer gave that staff an extra couple of years. I'm convinced of that. Oh, th- there's no doubt. And I think the main thing was their leadership came from players more so than it did with coaches. And when they lost Shermer and Bruno Reagan and, and Justin School and some other guys like that, it fell off the table, and you saw what happened, and I think that's a difference now. I think they'll have leadership coming from the coaching staff. Now, I think the coaching staff inherited a, a leaderless group of players, and I think that's going to be an issue, but I think you're right. I think you, you've hit it square on the head. I think that when they lost those guys, not just their skills as players, but their leadership abilities, you saw what happened. I think that'll be the challenge for the next staff. They're going to have to spend a few years in really developing that. To be fair, I think what you're looking for are little baby steps in year one. You're looking for a team that plays really hard. If you get that, check that on the box. You're looking for a team that maybe isn't as talented as you want, but plays smart, wins the kicking game, looks like they know what they're doing in the kicking game, and you want to see progress toward the end as the freshmen, the young guys that end up playing start to feel more like sophomores. And I think that's the fair way to judge it. Do they get better as they go along? Do they appear to show some smarts? And that's what we'll all be looking for. Well, I say they didn't have player leadership. I think they had a freshman quarterback who is a leader and and is looking to be a leader and will be a leader for them. But it's really hard to walk into a room of players where the culture is, I've heard people describe it, was bad. Um, and I think it was, whether that was all Derek Mason's fault or not, I would have some reservations about pinning all that on Derek. But here's the point. Um, when you come in, you're a winner like Ken Seals is, and you want to change things, um, and, and you've got a group of people who, who don't really understand that and talk that language, I think it's tough on a freshman quarterback to be that guy, especially when the losses start to pile up. I do think that they have a foundation of leadership with that kid. I was really impressed with what he did uh, before the Sarah Fuller situation made that team fall apart. So you do have something to build on, but I think building leaders 
uh, out of that team because you need more than that. I think that's going to be one of the first challenges that this staff has. Here's one of the things when you brought up seals. Never has college football come down to whether you've got the quarterback or not. I've never seen it in, in the last 10 to 15 years more obvious than it is right now. I can remember the two years that I did Georgia Tech games, and we had a real stud in Calvin Johnson. But the problem was Reggie Ball didn't get any better. It really hit me then, this is all about the quarterback. And that's one thing that Clark will walk in and be able to thank Derek Mason's staff for, is that they got him a quarterback, not only who appears to know what he's doing, but in a perfect world is going to be here another three years. And that's a great foundational piece that it doesn't appear they have to worry about for a while. Yeah, I'm into all that. I think I think that's, you know, like I've said, the one thing that you had coming to this program um, <laughs> amidst all the, the, the just the despair and depression that became the football program is that, that's the one commodity even some good programs don't have is, is a potential franchise-type quarterback. And, and maybe that's an overstatement, but I think a lot of Ken Seals, and, and so we'll see. That, that is one building block he's got. George, quickly, yeah. I'm going to go to the mailbag for a question before I let you go. Our mailbag is always sponsored by my good friend and insurance agent, Josh Minton. He's an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood. He can take care of all your insurance needs just as he does mine. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Okay, VU Peary says, how much time did you spend with Chris Wyrick, and what were some of the things on the table from a facility standpoint during the 1990s? I don't know that I'm the one to ask that to. Uh, I know a lot more about what they were trying to do in the late 80s. There was a very secret plan that virtually nobody will confirm, although Watson Brown sort of has for me on my show, they were going to take Dudley Field and go to 53,000. And at the time, because of Watson's return and the excitement, there really was a lot of buzz, way more buzz than there's been any time recently. And so they felt like they could get to that number. And they had this plan, and it was, I guess, a little bit of the Georgia Tech plan where they had the thought of the, uh, the facility in the end zone, that kind of thing. A lot of people swore it didn't exist. I know it did. And 53,000 was the big number. Never happened. I think we now know they don't need 53,000. What they probably need is 32 to 35,000 that are chair back. And, you know, I think that's a big ingredient. When you look around at the other places, um, you've got amenities whether it's the arena that's obviously chair back, Nissan Stadium, which is chair back. I asked that question yesterday to Candace, uh, will this become a chair back stadium? And, you know, she indicated it's at least an option on the table. Yeah, that, that would be a nice start. I don't think, 
you know, I don't look at their football stadium as I sit in the press box and, and think this thing is just about to crumble to the ground, right? I mean, I, I think that you've got some things that you can work with there. You've got some good sight lines. Uh, I'm interested to see how the, the end zone things, um, what they're going to do with both end zones and how that looks. But I, I do think – now, I think concourses and bathrooms, that's an issue – and I'm not a structural engineer. I don't know how you get around those things. I'm also not, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't sat in the stands for a game in 20 years. So I also don't experience as a fan. I, I don't know. Those are the things that they're going to have to get around. But in terms of, of what you said, I just think putting chairbacks in that place and maybe doing some cool things in the end zones, uh, I think maybe there's some options to work with, and I'm interested to see what they come up with. I will tell you this. Um because I'm like you, sometimes I sit in the press box, sometimes I don't uh, when I go. I went to the U2 concert. This has been, gosh, I want to say eight, nine years ago. And we laughed. It was in, it was in 2011 because I was there. Yeah. Okay. And if you remember, there were probably about 48,000 people there because they put about 8,000 into the infield. Well, it's a very uncomfortable building. I guess building isn't the right word. It's a really uncomfortable stadium when it's full, when it's really full. And I kind of learned that that day that, whoa, this is, you know, this is tough. And it's not a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, truthfully, the only time they fill it anymore is when, the opposition brings a bunch of people, and that's not necessarily what you want. But nonetheless, that's sort of what's uh, what's out there. George, any parting thoughts before we end the podcast? Of course, I want to give you a moment to publicize your shows, your social media, anything like that. So I'll, I'll give you the floor as we end the show uh, for anything uh, that we didn't talk about that you feel is important and, of course, to promote your own things. Well, let's get to the important stuff. Gosh, we've got Major League Baseball in 48 hours. Oh, thank God. Yes. Oh, big time. Anyway, my show is 2 to 4 p.m. on 560 WNSR on the AM dial, 95.9 on FM. And, of course, you can hear it on the uh, WNSR app. I now have a Twitter account, which has shocked a bunch of people. Uh, You can go to George Plaster TN and see what kind of useless drivel that I'm putting out there. And, um, Chris, I guess that's it on my end. And uh, thank you for having me, and thanks to all the, uh, thanks to all the listeners uh, who we maybe put to sleep. Who knows? Well, and I think this is an appropriate way to end this thing, right? Uh, you and I have been the worst critics in town of, of their program. Again, I, I think it's fair. I, I think you and I are both thrilled uh, to, to maybe have success finally is an option to discuss. I mean, you you don't you don't anoint it to them until it's done. But I feel like this is the best I have felt about the program long term. Again, and since I've been on this beat, um, and, and I know that you share that hope for them uh, that that you want to see them be their best. And and I think I, I'm looking forward to us hopefully being able to do some shows like this where we have some success and some things to talk about. And I just feel like a burden has been lifted off a lot of people who care about this program. I'm with you. Let's do it. All right. Uh, He's George Plaster. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. 
will be back with more episodes later this week.